Welcome to the New Life Philly Podcast. Every week, we share fresh insights as we explore the inexhaustible depths of the Word of God. We pray that you will be encouraged and challenged today as we continue in our study. Let's join in now. Hmm. Well, just a quick word on the reason why I am up here and Pastor Larry is not. Um, He wants you to know that sermon preparation can be risky and dangerous. So he's working on the sermon for today. And if I'm telling it wrong, just correct me or something. But, but uh, he's in his house with all his books and starting to feel like this is a, it's about time to get some fresh air. So he's going to go out and get inspired. He starts walking down his street and gets right to the middle of North Broad Street. And he thinks, maybe I better go a little bit faster to get out of the way of all this traffic. And the knee just popped on him. And anyway, you're healing, you're better, the Lord is taking care of you, and we're so thankful that you're here. Um, But uh, we didn't know what kind of shape that knee would be in, so I said, well, I got Psalm 24. I got Psalm 24 to talk about. And so we will interrupt our regularly scheduled series to tell you that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Oh. And here we are, October the 31st. That doesn't mean a heck of a lot to me, except when I was a kid, I got free candy. Um, and that was good. That was a good thing. Um, it also means that... Um, it's that day that uh, uh, Mr. Martin Luther uh, nailed the, uh, his, his protest on the door of the church and said, y'all don't have repentance right. And, uh, and, and you can go straight to Jesus about it. And, he kinda, and, and that led to what we call the Reformation, which was the, uh, kind of the rediscovery of the gospel of God's grace. So I'm thankful for that on October 31st. But tomorrow is called All Saints Day, which means something to me because the Bible says that we're all saints. All of us who love Jesus Christ are all saints. So celebrate yourself tomorrow. Now, the reason why Halloween came about, I read up on this, um, and uh, I don't know how accurate this is, but it was something like this. Um, Since it's All Saints Day tomorrow, then... Uh, all the dead folk uh, come back on Halloween night to torment the people who are still around, but if you wear a costume, they might not recognize you. (laughs) Now, that has something to do with the sermon today because what that, it really does. Because what they were trying to do was to control the spiritual world for uh, for their own safety. What they were saying is, I have to figure out a way to control the world around me and even the unseen spiritual world so that I will be safe. And so I want to ask you, do you ever get bent out of shape because you can't control your world? Sometimes I get all frustrated in that nice, unflappable, Bob Hames kind of way, of course, where nobody knows that I'm frustrated. And it's, I get all frustrated because I can't control my world. And sometimes I feel like I don't measure up. 
And I can be filled with shame about something stupid I did or something sinful that I did or both. A lot of times those two go together. And sometimes I fight my daily battles all alone. I need Psalm 24. And so I'll invite you all to listen in as the Lord helps me and the Lord helps you too from the Word of God. Because what, I, what Psalm 24 shows me is that the earth is the Lord's, salvation is the Lord's, and the battle is the Lord's. Amen. Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. Thank you that you speak clearly to your children, that you tell us what we need to know about you and about ourselves. And we pray that your Holy Spirit would take the word that you inspired, that you breathed out and breathe it into us, deep in our souls, satisfy us with nothing less than God himself. And help us to see how much we need to see you as the one who owns the earth and takes care of your earth that you have made. Help us, Lord, to understand what the word says. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, if you can stand up once more, let's give honor to the word of God as it is read. Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates. Lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. The earth is the Lord's, so says our text. And it says that it's even made in such a way that humans can flourish in it. It says that he established it upon the waters, upon the rivers, and upon the seas. And and what in the world does that mean? I mean, you picture kind of like a floating dock or something? No. The point is that if you lived back then in those days in that place, you would have thought of the sea as representing chaos and danger, like North Broad Street. Or the boulevard. You know, it's a place that has this foreboding. Uh, Nothing, you can't can't handle the sea. It's bigger than you are. And it's kind of ominous. But what he's saying is that God has made safe places for you and me to be. In this world of chaos, the earth 
is the Lord's. The whole universe made by God, owner operated by God. Verses one and two. The Lord, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Fullness, fullness. God has made the earth full. He didn't create the earth and made it a howling wilderness. But he made the earth full. The, he, it, it's, it's not just what you need to survive, but what you need to thrive. Um, Isaiah 6 says, the earth is full of his glory. And if you've got the eyes to see it, you can see the glory and the radiance and the genius and the artistry and the beauty of God's creativity all around you. Even in the city where the crown of God's creation the humans that God made in his own image are all stacked up together, living on top of each other. It's a beautiful thing. And then the whole, uh, it says that the earth, in Psalm 33, the earth is full of his unfailing love. If you have eyes to see, you can see God's faithfulness. Summer and winter, and seed time, and harvest, sun, moon, and stars, and their courses above, join with all nature and manifold witness to God's great faithfulness, mercy, and love. So God owns the earth. There's no place where he's not in charge. There's no place in all creation that does not belong to our God. Every part of your life, your relationships, your work, the stuff you do on Tuesday morning, whatever that is, worship, ministry, dishes, diapers, they can all be done for the glory of God. Whether you eat or drink, you do all things for the glory of God. You know, 16 years ago, I went from being a full-time pastor to a full-time piano tuner, and I can say that without guilt. You know why? Because there's no such thing as a secular job for you who are in Christ. No matter what you do, you're in God's world, you're breathing God's air, you're living on God's turf, and you're, you're doing God's work. So God owns it all. Why is it so good to know? It's good to know who owns the world. It's good to know who has ultimate responsibility for it. Because what that means is that the world is not my problem. The world is not your problem. It's not ultimately your responsibility. Now, an example. I don't own my own piano tuning business. I work for the man. Because I want somebody else to have the big headaches of running a business while I get to tune pianos. I like it that way. Because the business is not my problem. Here's another thing. A little less than a year ago, something very beautiful happened in our family. Uh, my daughter and my grandchildren and my grand dog all <laughs> moved in to our big house in East Oak Lane. And Emily told me, you know, these are your not-my-problem kids because they're hers, not mine. I get to enjoy them. I get to spend time with them. I might even influence them a little bit, but they're not my problem. <laughs> so when I get home at night, for, I come home and I get hugged by not my problem kids, and I get nuzzled by not my problem dog. <laughs> I can sleep at night knowing that the world is God's to maintain. 
Now I've got responsibilities, but I'm not ultimately responsible. God takes care of his own stuff. I like it that way. Colossians 1 says that God holds all things together. This God is over all, created all, rules over all, and is worthy of all praise. That's the God who made our world the kind creator. So God made this big, wide, wonderful world for human flourishing, but he doesn't want to just provide a nice place for us to live on our own. He doesn't say, hey, I got your house. You can live in it now. You won't see me anymore. He's saying that he, 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 he desires a relationship. And the big question that the Bible answers is, how can you and I be with God? Um, there are only two times in the Bible where God and people could hang out freely without any issues. The first two chapters of the Bible in the Garden of Eden before sin entered the world, and the last two chapters of the Bible in the new heavens and the new earth where everything is resolved in eternity. And so those two places are the only two places in the whole word of God where humans and God can hang out without any issues. So you and I don't live in either of those times. We live in the middle. We live in a middle where we still have a sin problem. Creation is still groaning and waiting for that day of redemption. And the devil is alive and well. So verses 3 through 6, who can meet with God? Who can climb the holy hill? Who can stand before his holy presence? You, so, you, you know, this was, this was written... Uh, David, uh, David the king, uh, wrote this psalm, and, and he, he had just gotten this new city called Jerusalem. He got it from the Jebusites, and, uh, and, and, and so he's setting things up there. He's got his, his palace there, and he's got the tent where, uh, where, where people go to worship the Lord. It has the holy place, the most holy place where God's presence dwells, and the only people who could go in there were priests once a year after doing multiple washings, multiple bathings, and a lot of blood. Because there had, because between holy God and messed up us, uh, there has to be some means of taking care of the relationship that has been broken between us and God. And so, and so uh, in Jerusalem, where God is worshipped and is his tent, uh, David wanted to build a temple, but God said, no, not yet, not, not this time. Your son's going to do it. But here's the answer to that question, verses 3 through 6. It says, who, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord, that is the, the Mount Zion leading up to Jerusalem, who shall stand in his holy place? Can anybody really stand before the holiness of God? It says, he who has clean hands, that means you didn't do anything wrong with your body, Okay, and a pure heart, your motives are right, who does not lift up his soul to what is false, you're not an idolater in any way, you've never, you've never gone to anything else other than God uh, for what only God can do, and uh, you don't swear deceitfully, in other words, you don't ever talk smack about your neighbor. And so, inward, outward holiness... Um, 
uh, idolatry. You're, you, there's no, no hint of idolatry. And you always use your mouth for godly reasons. Um, I find that discouraging. <laughs> Do you know anybody like that? Um, you add to that, God said to Moses, nobody can see my face and live to tell about it. And when Isaiah saw a vision of the Lord high and lifted up, it was not a comfortable experience. Woe is me, he said. I am undone. 1 Timothy 6 puts it this way. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality and dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. So who can ever approach a God like this? Who could ever stand before him and live to tell about it? Well, I think there are some clues right here in our text. Let's take a look. What is it next? What does it say next? It says, he will receive blessing. And he will receive righteousness from God, his judge. No, from God, his savior. The God of who? Jacob? Now, come on, how many of you had Sunday school classes that said, be like Jacob? He never manipulated anybody. Uh, he never, he never did anything wrong. He didn't try to, try to control his circumstances to make things turn out better for himself. No, the God, of, Jacob was a mess, a complete mess. Yet God is not ashamed to call himself the God of Jacob. There are a lot of clues in there. Receive blessings. You and I, through Jesus Christ, have received every spiritual blessing in Christ. We have been chosen by the Father. We have been redeemed by the Son. And we have been sealed by the Holy Spirit for eternity. We've received blessing. And we have received righteousness, it says. That he will receive righteousness. Not do righteousness. Yeah, you'll, you'll do righteousness. You'll do plenty of righteousness, but that's later. You receive righteousness. And how does that work? Because there is one. There is one human with clean hands. There is one human with a pure heart. There is one human who has never lifted up his soul to vanity, and there is one human who has never sworn deceitfully. His name is Jesus Christ, and he is in our place. He died in our place. He lived perfectly in our place. And he is the son of David, the son of God. He has clean hands and a pure heart. So the only way that you and I can stand in the presence of God is to go with Jesus. Back in our band, uh, pre-Micah, before Micah came along, we needed a new keyboard player because uh, our keyboard player had the audacity to quit and go into full-time pastoral ministry. I don't know what he was thinking. And so uh, Dennis, you've seen Dennis up here playing bass, wonderful bass player. Dennis and I, uh, Dennis works for SEPTA. So he and I are going to go down to Temple and hear, uh, hear a concert of a guy that we're going to invite to play in our band with us. And, uh, and so, so Dennis, uh, Dennis and I go down to the, uh, to the Fern Rock Transportation Center, and he looks at the guy, and he flashes this little card, and he says, to, and he points to me, says, he's with me. 
And then I walk right through the turnstile and get onto the train and I didn't pay anything. After the concert, after the concert is over, Dennis and I walk back to the other turnstile over Temple University and he flashes this little card and he points to me and he says, he's with me. And I got through the turnstile and I sat on the train and I didn't pay any money. When Jesus ushers you into the presence of God, he says, she's with me. He's with me. And you can come in free, forgiven, righteous. He's with me. Paul puts it this way, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Put your faith in Jesus Christ and let him be all your righteousness. Let him wash away the shame. Let him wash away every, everything that makes you feel like you don't measure up. Jesus measures up. You're not enough. Jesus is enough. And you go with Jesus into the presence of God. Therefore, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, referring to that, the time of abuse and death on the cross, that by the new and living way which he opened up for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, his broken body for you, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. We become those people with clean hands and a pure heart who do not lift up their souls to vanity, nor do we swear falsely with our tongues. Salvation is of the Lord. You in Christ can come up the hill of the Lord and stand in his presence. We do this every Sunday. You do this, you do this during the week. We do this every time we dial into our seven o'clock prayer meeting, which I have come to love. Uh, and I'm not gonna, oh, I could just, I could, I could start, start waxing rhapsodic about that right now. But, but when we come into the presence of the Lord, anytime you bow your head and you come to God in prayer, you are coming freely through the blood of Jesus. You are coming because Jesus has made you able, made you worthy to come in. The way has been opened, and in his presence there is fullness of joy. Go on in there. Go with Jesus. As you draw near, you're not going to stay the same. You will be transformed because of that you're going to become a card-carrying member of the generation that seeks his face. Not the builder generation, not the boomer generation, not Gen X, not the millennial or the Z generation, but the generation that seeks his face with hands that are cleansed by the blood of Jesus and a new good heart and a soul that belongs to him and a redeemed mouth that no longer swears falsely. God has a vision for your transformation. And it's not going to be because of your willpower. It's not going to be because you double down on spiritual disciplines. 
It won't be because you figured out how to have a well-ordered life. It will be because you in Christ are seeking the face of your Father who has given you his spirit and it's transforming you from glory to glory as you see the face of Christ. Seek the face of God in that new and living way. You will be transformed. You're saved. You're accepted. You're being transformed by God, but you need a king who fights for you and with you in the daily battles and with the darkness. Lift up your heads, O gates. Be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory, the Lord, strong and mighty? The Lord, mighty in battle. The gates, the gates. Back in Jerusalem, David's imagination is captured by the Lord of hosts, mighty in battle, returning to the city of God, calling out for the gates to open and a celebration in the city for the king of glory, the Lord of hosts who fights for his people. Who is this king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord of hosts, mighty in battle. Our God has proved himself over and over and over again as the king who fights for his people. When the, when the people of God were delivered from the land of slavery, it was the Lord, mighty in battle. When the Amalekites attacked the people of God and Moses prayed and his friends held up his arms and Joshua did the dirty work, they won the battle because it was the Lord, mighty in battle, who fought for his people. When Gideon and his puny army of 300 soldiers won against thousands of oppressors, it was the Lord, mighty in battle. When David, the little guy with faith in a big God, went up against the giant that was taking, that was talking trash about the people of God, And he killed the giant and chased away the Philistines. It was the Lord, mighty in battle. And when Jesus, when Jesus, the son of David, the king of glory, came to set his people free and caused every demon to flee away, it was the king of glory, the Lord, mighty in battle. And when Jesus, the king of glory, overcame every temptation to sin and overcame every temptation to bypass death on the cross, he won that battle for us because he is the Lord, strong and mighty. Jesus, mighty in battle, endured the cross, and he ascended into the heavenly realms, having accomplished all that the Father had sent him to do. And he says, lift up your heads. Heaven, lift up your heads, O ye gates, that the King of glory may come in. And he came in and he took his seat at the throne of the Father's right hand where he is exalted forever and given the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, the glory of God the Father. And there will come a time. There will come a time when the trumpet will sound, when the Lord of hosts, mighty in battle, will command the physical world, which he made, which he owns, lift up your heads, O gates, O earth, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, so that the king of glory may come back. Who is this king of glory? His name is Jesus Christ, the king, mighty in battle. Jesus, the king of kings, is going to come back and he's bringing restoration. He's bringing redemption. He's bringing blessing to the entire creation. There will be no more sin, no more temptation, no more unbelief, no more tears, and no more battles. He's going to bring judgment and an end to Satan and the demons and all who follow them. The creation created, owned by God, will have been groaning and waiting long enough. Then there will be a new heaven and a new earth, 
and in Jesus will make all things new. The kingdom of God will no longer be a movement in an unbelieving world as it is now. The kingdom of God, the kingdoms of this world will have become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Hallelujah. So, are you, <laughs> I know you can start hearing handle, right? are you living in a world where you, that you feel like you have to control because you think somehow somebody told you that you had ultimate responsibility over your world? Are you striving to make yourself more pure and acceptable to God or to others? Are you trying to fight battles that you can't win? You need Jesus. I need Jesus. The king of glory, mighty in battle, he is the king of glory. Amen? Amen. 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 Come on up. Let's, uh, let's worship the Lord some more. And before we do that, let's pray together. Lord, we need you. Just as Maranatha sang, we didn't even plan it, but she sang it anyway. We need you. It was so appropriate. And we, uh, and we come before you, O oh, oh Lord, because you are the owner and operator of the entire universe. Salvation is yours. You are the one who pursues a people and gives us all the righteousness that we need to have fellowship with you. And you are the one who fights our battles. And we bow before you and we are dependent upon you and we need you. I pray for anyone who does not yet believe I pray for anyone who feels that whatever they're talking about, I'm on the outside of that. Oh, Lord, bring her in. Bring him in. I just pray that you would send your spirit to bring the good news that Christ has accomplished everything we need to bring us together with a holy God. Because we need you more than anything in the world, anything that you've created. Oh, Lord, speak to us. Show us your glory. Show us the King of glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope that you've been blessed today by the preaching of God's Word. Join us every week for fresh insights on the New Life Philly podcast. If you would like to reach out to our church for more information, or if there's some way we can pray for you, please visit newlifephilly.net or email newlife at newlifephilly.net. May the Lord richly bless you this week.